Honesty in a world of deception. That's the topic of this program. Simon Jacobson here. The program is dedicated in, in, by Judith Kirk in honor of the birthday of her husband, daughter, and granddaughter, and in loving memory of Yachaliba Bas Shmuel, Benish Getzel ben David Eliyahu, Kalman Mordechai ben David Eliyahu, Miriam Leah Bas Yisrael Nissen Sofer, and David Elio ben Avram Yitzchak. Thank you. May the teachings and all that learned from inspired by this program serve all these people well and stand in their merit. So, this topic, honesty in a world of deception, is not an easy topic to speak about. The reason being is because Let's put it in more blunt terms. If you were asked this question, do you see yourself as an honest person? So most people, who may, may even not be that honest, it's difficult for them to just say, I'm a dishonest person. I mean, some cynics and skeptics may say it, but it's not usually the line that you'd like to hear or you hear people acknowledge. You know, we're not talking about white lies once in a while. The question is, how dishonest are we? How much do we see? How much duplicity is there in our, in our lives? What will we do to get something? Will we lie to get it? Will we deceive someone? Will we, will we be deceptive? And if you go to evolutionary biologists, they will explain that it's very much part of nature, survival of the fittest, that nature has built in all kinds of deception. And not just in the human species. In the animal kingdom, look how Different predators hunt. They use deception to deceive the prey. Parasites. Other forms of bacteria. Sometimes camouflage themselves, change their shape, their color, hide, conceal, that they shouldn't be noticed in order for them to survive. So you can make the argument that it's very much part of the very nature of human beings. To survive, you need to do whatever it takes, and sometimes it will include deception. And yet, there's something about the word being dishonest, being a liar, being duplicitous, that rubs us the wrong way. Why don't we just see it as a part of survival? Because we all know that not all of it is for survival. And even when it is for survival, maybe we could have survived in other ways. When, God forbid, I don't even like to repeat it, but when you hear about stories in the Holocaust, during the Holocaust, World War II, where people for survival turned in their own families, turned in their own neighbors, their cousins, their relatives, their rabbis, to protect themselves, the kapos and others. Well, it's like Churchill said, that appeasement is feeding the crocodiles in the hope that you will be eaten last. But they thought they wouldn't be eaten. So they turned, became unethical, worse than unethical. I wouldn't even call that dishonest. But it's definitely in the behavior that we don't see as being very admirable or noble to turn someone else in. Someone else should be killed. You should not be killed. Why, why not? Because there's something about survival of the fittest that in its naked, raw self rubs us the wrong way, does not resonate. And I've always thought about it. Even though it seems like such an eloquent theory, at the end of the day, it turns us into sometimes, at times, it can turn us into something that we don't want to even be. Okay, I know the cynics will say, well, that's part of human beings' mutation that we have got, taken it too far. Had we just remained a little simpler in our complex minds, instead of having complex minds, we would have just accepted, like all other creatures. We became too smart for ourselves, so we become what we call noble. Some people call nobility as a form of a mutation, a distorted view of evolution. Others say that too is part of survival. But yet, when we bring up our children, when we talk to each other, when there's love, would very, many people, would anyone that you know say that in the name of love, that uh, it's consistent with love for me to lie to the person I love because it's good for me? If I can get away with it without being caught, it's perfectly fine. I think many will have a problem with it. I'm not saying people don't do it. But I don't know if anyone will say initially that's the approach to take. When you love people, you are part of that as being duplicitous. Now, parents may say, look, I can't tell my children everything. 
Some things we have to not say. Sometimes we lie. So where does deception, that's legitimate, let's put it that way, begin, end, and where does deception that's, that's not appropriate begin? Or to put it in other terms, is honesty even a virtue then? With that approach, why is honesty even a virtue? What's the point of being honest? Now I know you could say I'm taking it to the extreme. It's one thing that sometimes you need to be deceptive, sometimes you need to be camouflaged, sometimes you package things. But to say that with that we should just become dishonest human beings, period, I don't think anybody thinks that way. So this is all part of the, the topic that we're going to unfold, try to understand. Of course, it's about understanding ourselves in a deeper way, how we function, how we work, and how we best function and work. So just to make the plot thicken a bit, let's talk about a seemingly innocuous, not even innocuous, some people wouldn't even call this any form of deception. But if you think about it, conceptually, you can definitely make a case that this is not complete seamlessness. When we teach our children, and we educate our students. We very often, or always, rely on and depend on metaphors. You can't understand the idea the child, or the beginner cannot understand the idea as is, so we package it in explanations, in a metaphor, in a story, in an anecdote, in a joke, in an example. Is that deceptive? You can argue. Why don't you just tell the topic as it is? Why do you have to dress it up, package it? The answer, of course, is because they wouldn't understand it without it. But does that justify that sometimes, for example, we'll tell a child, you behave, we'll take you to the toy store, we'll buy you a gift. Why don't you just tell the child good behavior is an end in itself? Because the child doesn't yet understand that necessarily. So is it in any subtle way a distortion by saying, I'll incentivize you? Or deterrence in order to to discipline or to educate someone. They'll grow older and they'll discover, I was told things that are not necessarily, that was the, the objective was not the game or the toy or the metaphor, it was really the subject matter itself. Truth should be accepted as truth. Why do we have to package it? Now I know that's stretching it, you'll say that's not uh, deceptive, that's not duplicity. Because firstly, you're saying it up front. I'm going to explain an idea with this and this po topic. But sometimes we need to camouflage it, not in a negative way with negative intentions to hide something or to deceive someone, because it's the only way that it could be understood properly. Let's talk about communication in general. When you communicate with people and you're about to say something controversial or you're touching upon a very sensitive topic or you're a therapist or a coach, a counselor, you can't always say the way it is because the person may take it the wrong way. Maybe you have to... maybe. They have a raw, open wound and a scar. So you have to package it. You have to be more subtle, more sensitive, more empathetic. That's not called in any way deceptive. Why not? Because it's part of the process that when you communicate, it has to be done in an effective way. Effective way means saying it in a way that the recipient can hear it. But you see how it broadens the topic that we live in a world where what you see and what you get is not always the same. And sometimes it's hard, it's a blurred line, difficult to identify where deception becomes something inappropriate. But above all, the question is how to be honest in a deceptive world. Can you be? When you live among people where deception is so common and people are doing it to you, can you maintain the integrity of your own integrity and your own honesty in that type of world? Or do you need to separate yourself? some form of ascetic lifestyle because the world is, as the Hasidic masters call the Alma de Shikra, a world that lies. That doesn't mean everyone's lying all the time. It means that a world that you can lie. There's the concept of smiling to someone and then stabbing them in the back, God forbid. You say one thing, you mean another. Sometimes in a very overt, manipulative way. Sometimes in a more subtle way. Sometimes your intentions may even be good. So it's a broad spectrum, this topic. I gave somewhat of the evolutionary version theory on the topic, which is that it's part of survival. Survival sometimes means there's limited resources. You want something from another. They may not give it to you directly, or they may be in danger because you need to consume them for your own sustenance. So they need, it requires some form of deception. 
some form of stealth, some form of um, camouflage to get what you want. But let's take it further, and we're going to, of course, take it, give it a mystical, call it a psycho-spiritual perspective on the entire topic. The mystics ask a very fundamental question. In a world of total seamlessness, in a world of total unity, because that's their axiom, that's their given assumption, that in the words of the great Ariza, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the great Kabbalist of the 16th century, that in the beginning, in the beginning mean conceptually, before existence as we know it came into being, there was a divine consciousness, as he puts it. We call it Or Ein Sof. An infant divine light, it's just a metaphor, light meaning an energy, a consciousness, an aware, a, a state, that filled the expanse of everything, everything that would ever be. Remember, there's no time and space yet, so it's conceptual. And there's no room for any other identity. There's only one seamless unity. The divine reality. But that divine reality desired and wished to have another. To do so, as long as that seamless, unified consciousness is present, there's no room for another. For to have an independent consciousness, there had to be some form of concealment. Now, obviously, God can do whatever he wishes. We're talking about the way God created existence with a logic. So the logic is similar to a, a brilliant teacher, to teach a student, a beginner student, cannot be fully present if he allows his or her brilliance to just shine forth. It would be overwhelming and completely annihilate any other entity. Especially when you're dealing with something so infinite and beyond infinite compared to a finite consciousness. So what does the teacher need to do? The teacher needs to conceal, needs to hide some of his or her brilliance, and slowly spoon-feed in a very narrow stream of consciousness and information to the other. That's the way the Kabbalists, the mystics, explain existence, the possibility of existence in the face of a deeper, transcendent, higher reality. There's a concealment. Now that concealment right there is the birth of all concealments that would ultimately evolve in the capacity and the possibility to actually create deception and worse, duplicity to the point of even destructive forms of it. It all began with a very good intention. An analogy of the Magad of Mizrich to explain it would be apparent. Wanting to elicit the ingenuity of his or her child conceals himself or herself in a hiding place and wants the child to figure out where that parent is hiding. But the parent is a quite adept at um, concealment. The child begins to search. The concealment is so well done that the child gives up. And there lies the birth of all problems. Because the whole purpose of the, the concealment and the symptom, the concealment, the hidden state, was in order to elicit ingenuity and bring out revelation. But if we forget that we don't see it through, how sad is that? The parent remains in a hiding place, the child gives up, and there's a disconnect. It's a way of explaining existential loneliness, a way of explaining existential separation. That concept of separation, whether it's from child, from a child separating from a mother or from the womb, that separation that so, so that will define all our searches in life to reconnect. We look for connection. We look for connection in a disconnected world. We look for love in a world where love may be a rare commodity, a difficult commodity to access. We look for truth in a world that is not always so truthful. We look for trust in an untrusting world and we look for honesty and integrity in a deceptive world. What are we looking for? Seamlessness. So in essence, based on this principle, deception itself, even with good reasons, for let's say, as I, as I said in nature, it's part of the balance of nature. But the mere fact that you cannot get it directly, that someone may 
misunderstand or someone will not give you what you want, including their own body, the prey, to a predator in that context, or the parasite off its host, the host won't give it to you, so you need to deceive it. To the point, as we know, there are even creatures, bizarre situations where creatures actually enter into the neural system of, a, of an insect and take over because they want to feed off of it. So all those methods, even though they are part of the balance of nature, once there's nature and makes sense, but the mere fact that something is not seamless is because of a schism that took place for good reason to create independent reality. But the intention was never that that independent reality should turn into duplicity, should turn into harming one another. <clears throat> the issue of predators and prey, just I'll just mention it because I, it deserves to be discussed, actually from a biblical and from a mystical point of view, it's the nature of existence today. The Bible says, the Torah says, that in the day of the future, in the messianic age, in the utopian age, the predator will cease to be a predator. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The aggressive animals will no longer be aggressive. They will rest. They will be at peace. Because they'll be able to have their sustenance without having to consume another entity. And therefore not needing to resort to duplicity as well. So though there is a benefit to it in the world in which we, in the world in which we exist, and you can even say it's a matter of survival, but the fundamental concept for anyone that's a sensitive person, that something has to lie, something has to be deceived, let's say not say an outright lie, to conceal your intentions in order to get what you want, has at its core something missing. And it's because of the independence of our consciousness. So yes, the purpose of it is a very healthy one, to create an independent consciousness for us to go seek out the truth. If we didn't have that, there would be no one to seek, there'd be no two realities, there'd be one consciousness, divine consciousness, and there's no purpose to that. So the purpose of existence, that there be an independent entity, behooves. Inherent to that purpose lies the possibility for there to be duality. And once there's duality, that possibility for deception and duplicity and, and the domino effect of where that can go. So in essence, the entire purpose was God concealed himself, the divine concealed itself, not to be deceptive, but to give us space, to create space. What a real, when you love someone, you give them space. But sometimes they don't seek you out, they disappear, they leave, they wander, they, be, they uh, desert you. And then what happens? So the space you've given them has turned into has turned has turned awry, has turned in the wrong direction. But it's not hopeless because the purpose is always to reconnect. Even though we live in a world of disconnection. So let's talk about packaging. I mentioned packaging before. Now packaging is something, as I said, is a very normal thing. You have to package your description. I'm packaging right now what I'm saying to you in a way that hopefully you can understand better. When does packaging become a problem? When the package is deceptive. The package misleads you. The non-truth in advertising. You're selling me something, you're selling someone something, and then they find out it's not what they wanted. But you got them. A hook. It can be Maybe you didn't break the law, but, you, but, but it's at the edge of the law. You found a loophole. Sometimes you break the law. But remember, we're not talking about man-made laws. We're talking about the human exchange, the human interaction, the human, the human uh, um, give and take that we have. So it's not always easy to determine where marketing has become manipulative and where it's really just presenting to you a product in a way that you can understand it easily and know its value to you. It would, I would challenge anyone to say they know exactly where the line is, where marketing goes a little more and it's manipulating you and it's directing and guiding. Because remember, at the end of the day, someone wants to sell you something. So it's not just purely intention was to do good for you. They want to do good for themselves. So re- right there, when you have another agenda, you have to wonder. But let's for a moment say there is no self-interest. 
let's say it's a healthy parent or a healthy educator or someone who has something really valuable to offer. Yes, they need to package it. So clearly intention comes now into play. Intention comes into play. But why is all this so relevant to us? It's not just to discuss different forms of what is considered duplicity, what's considered ethical, what's considered unethical. It's also really meant to address a much more important topic, and that is, who are we in this world? Many people will say, you know, I was an honest man, I was an honest woman, I was an honest child. And then to survive, I realized people lied to me. People were deceptive. I realized for me to really succeed, I can't always tell people what my thoughts are. And sometimes I have to tell them, what my, tell them the opposite, to get the edge. This is called, you see that, the art of deception in times of war, for instance. Churchill famously said that in the time of war, the truth is so precious, you have to surround it with an enemy of lies. Misinformation. That's why intelligence is so important. Because sometimes you'll see, you're looking where the enemy strength is, so they'll see where they reinforce. It's only deception. It's only a decoy to make you think that's where their strength is. If the truth is so precious, you have to surround it with an army of lies. So that's one justification. We don't live in an honest world. I need to survive. I need to fight my battles. I need to win. I have no choice. I'm looking for the truth, but I need to surround it with lies. That's... Another, uh, another quote, Picasso, the great artist. Picasso said, art is the greatest lie that reveals a deeper truth. Because there's no such thing as actual art is just a reproduction of something. It's not real in its own sense, but it reveals a deeper truth. But sometimes the art or the picture becomes more important than the original. Classic joke where the mother has a newborn child, she's wheeling the child in a carriage, someone comes over and says, oh, what a beautiful little girl. And the mother says, ah, that's nothing. You should see the picture. If there was no picture, some cynics say it didn't happen. Madison Avenue will say, it's not what people think happens, it's not what people, it's not what happened, it's what people think happened. So then you're already getting into what today is known as fake news. I'm going to popularize that line. That becomes distortions. And distortions can be subtle ones, can be more overt. And intention has all to do with it. So I was once an honest person, people say. I don't know what happened. I had to survive. I was in a climate environment where I saw all types of behavior, and I learned from it. I learned from others how to lie, half-truths, quarter-truths, white lies, black lies. That's the way it is. And some people will sigh and say, yes, it was a much more naive and simpler life. Children, interestingly, children learn to lie from their parents or from adults. They don't lie naturally. That's why you have to tell children, don't tape everything you see at home. Now, would children evolve, like, let's say, creatures of the wild, that for survival of the fittest would begin to lie? It's a good question. I always wondered that perhaps they wouldn't. If they didn't see someone that they were mimicking, someone that they are, that has a in their impressionable years, is having an impact on them, perhaps they would be that seamless entity. But let's, for argument's sake, that everybody, because of the symptom, God's first so-called deception, for, good, for very positive reasons, has evolved that there is in reality a duality. Because we need two entities. The purpose of existence requires a relationship, requires two entities that are independent of each other. And one doesn't control the other. So it's possible they come together in beauty, but it's also possible they grow apart. So with all that background, you wonder, how can you really be honest in a deceptive world? You swim, when you want to be, with the, if you're among the sharks, you've got to swim with the sharks, you've got to behave like a shark. And many will say, I behave that way at work. At home, I'm different. Well, that right there is a duality, how you are at home and how you are at work. But regardless, I don't know if there's a person on earth that has not compromised themselves in some way that in some way had to somewhere compromise their integrity to be something they didn't really want to be. And then, of course, we justify it. And we go into denial until a point where we become completely comfortable. That's the way of the world. or That's the way it is. And you almost are desensitized to the fact that there is a 
duplicity, a duality. Now, it can remain very subtle, very innocuous, as I mentioned, but how far cry is it and how easy is it to spill over and to become really a uh, SOB, a person that hurts others, whatever justification one has. And that's where the tzimtzum has gone berserk to the point, not just berserk, absurd, to the point of obscene. When you see how human beings can perpetrate injustices on one another, killings of innocent men, women, and children, just because you feel they're a, your enemy, a contradiction to you, that's where it's gone. It's no longer just words, ideas. That's when it gets into tragedy in the worst possible way. So we're not just talking about small matters here. Now, am I going to suggest that everybody who has said a white lie or sometimes deceptive a bit or uh, using decoys is going to go that far? No. But people have when it came to their own survival. Tortured, hunger, excruciating circumstances, extenuating or excruciating circumstances and extenuating circumstances, and they behaved in ways that we'd all be ashamed of. But all the result, because there's a cosmic schism, a cosmic split, with the intention, and that's the key, the intention is for us to bridge that schism, to bridge that gap. So here's how we look at it. It's not about whether we had to throw in the towel and give up because everyone else, is because we live in a deceptive world and there's no way to survive. What you've given up most is the purpose of existence is exactly that. Is what? Is to enter a deceptive world. To enter a world of dissonance. To enter a world of duality. A world where there's often a very big gap and split between what is real and what people project is real. A true lie. That's the purpose of existence. To create the other and realize that in that deceptive world, I will discover and embrace and live with truth. So it's not just what I gave in the towel. That's okay, fine. You know, you become a victim of circumstances. That's an extremely powerful concept. That's what you were charged with. To live in a deceptive world that has all the forms of deception, some worse than others. And you know what? Maintain and create connection. Because when we do, that ripples through all of existence all the way to that first symptom. It's like a, a, a zipper effect. It connects. And that connection counters the split. Now if you think about it, the split is not just about deception and lies. It's about all forms of dissonance. Are you true to yourself? Are you comfortable in your own skin? Who you are and what you do, is that consistent? Or your identity has become shaped and defined by what you do. I can go on and on. Is there a split between your higher values and your reality on the ground? Between your idealism and survival? Between your transcendent needs and the needs to make ends meet? These are dilemmas and conflicts all of us face. Sometimes we're Ignoring them, we're so busy, we distract ourselves. Sometimes we numb the pain of that dissonance through all kinds of means, healthy or usually not healthy. But that's the purpose, to come into a world that is fragmented to the point even of being antithetical. People have different opinions, but they can also have different interests. It could even lead to discord and worse, dissent and war and create beauty Harmony within the diversity. When you read the, the narrative, the story of creation in the Bible in Genesis, you see it was done in stages. Six days of creation and the Sabbath. Interesting observation. Day one, creation of light. Light is always associated with unity. You see everything. What you see is what you get. That's what light does. When it's dark... The, the, the room is the same room, the table, the chairs, everything is there, but you can't see it, and therefore, there can be conflict. 
So day one, beautiful day. Good. Unity reigned, as the sages tell us. Day two is like the number two. One is unity, oneness. Day two is now the creation of two, of duality. And what was created? The, the higher heavens and the lower heavens. Two worlds, two entities. There was a split. In order for existence to be, we need diversity. So that's day two, diversity. It begins with one seamless thread that connects everything, and it turns into two. Now, two per se is not bad, but it can lead to bad. So when you look at the, in detail the specifics, it says each day God said it was good. By day two, you don't see the word good. Because discord, dissent, war was born. Machlekes, disagreement, dissent, divisiveness. Because two can lead to divisiveness. It doesn't have to, but it could. One does not. When everything is oneness, there's all there is. But day three comes, and what's more? Vegetation, growth, birth itself, perpetuation. So that's not just a split. That's a type of almost an eternal flow, the perpetuation of something, vegetation. The tree gives birth to another tree. And day three is compared to, there you see the word good is used twice. It's a double good. Good for day two and good for day three. What does that mean? Because you know what number three does? Think of number three. You have two people. One is one. One opinion. Two opinions. We don't know where it's going to go. They may never reconcile. Comes three is the reconciler. It's the mediator. It finds harmony within diversity. It finds the beauty in each one's opinion and brings them together in a beautiful blend and synchronicity. Beauty is never the result of one entity, of one color, of one musical note. You always need a few. Right, but as soon as you have a few, then you run the risk of chaos. You run the risk of noise. Think a bunch of musical notes in the wrong direction, wrong order, disorganized. It's noise. It's, it's, one sound can be monotonous, but it's not going to be disturbing, irritating. So musical notes, many, but in the right order. Number three, harmony. Tiferet, beauty. What's a beautiful face? One feature, one eye, one nose, one ear, two ears. Beautiful face is a composite of different factors, but in the right coordinated way, something about it. It's more than the sum of the parts. That's what beauty is, harmony within diversity. So the purpose was always harmony. But to have true harmony and beauty, you need to have the possibility for chaos. You need the possibility for, of war to have true peace. Yeah, I need the possibility of two entities, each their own, using it in the context of love and relationships. The Kotzka Rebbe famously said, if I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, I am not, and you are not. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, then I am and you are. Beyond the poetry, simple terms. If my identity is defined by juxtaposition and proximity to you, not, within, not generated from within myself, I am not really being. It's all about you. you it's, you're a moving target. I move along with you. And if your identity is defined by me, same thing. That can never be a healthy relationship. A complete relationship. A sustainable one. But if I am I because of my, I am I. If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? I have an identity that generates from my own. And you have an identity that generates from yourself. And we may be different. But once you have that security, we're not defined by the other, then we can come together. One entity, another entity. Harmony. God in his mysterious ways, and this is a discussion of its own, not for now, wanted a relationship. That seamless, divine, infinite light that I mentioned before leaves no room for anything else. There's no relationship. The purpose of it is to create an independent consciousness which has the possibility to go a different direction, to stop seeking, to not realize that the parent is hiding and waiting for you to discover them, but it's to 
fight that darkness, fight that concealment, and discover there's really, the diversity is not meant, everyone has their own agenda, which is the story of history, that the independent ego went off on its own, and you know what, built its own community, and now we have nations, and we have communities, and we have different agendas, and we go to war, whether physical war or other types of war, because we don't agree with each other. When the whole purpose of diversity was to create beauty and harmony that can only be possible with diversity. To put it in the language of our discussion, a, dishon- a possibly dishonest, a possibly um, what did I say, deceptive world. Deceptive meaning because there's that split between who you are and what you project. And you think you're competing with someone else so you need to deceive. And in that deceptive world, beginning with the deception of God's symptom itself. You fight it, and you see it, your calling, your mission, you're charged to bring unity and seamlessness and truth and honesty and integrity in an otherwise potential, fragmented, duplicitous world. That's the purpose of our being. So when you're in an environment and you see duplicity, Instead of throwing the towel and saying, the only way I can survive, see that as your challenge. That's why you were placed there. To be a force of light. To be a force of change. Why conform? Why become part of the problem? When you can be part of the solution. Or even generate the solution. Even initiate the solution. Lead the way. Is it difficult? Yes, it's difficult. Because you're going to be in the minority. And you may even be mocked. And dismissed. But do it wisely. You know what? Package it. So in a world of deception, sometimes we have to deceive the deceive the, the world of deception into thinking it's good for them. But in truth, it's packaging honesty. Tremendous analogy. I always use it. I love this analogy from the Baal Shem Tov. He speaks about a great king and he's aging, ailing, and realizes his day will come, wants his son to be the heir to the throne. One problem. His son grew up spoiled in a palace fine man but he was spoiled everything he needed was always given to me had a minister for this and assistant for that whatever it is the father was a wise king and said I need my son to be sensitive I don't just want to give him power I don't just want to give him all the entire kingdom I want him to be a sensitive leader he thinks about it and says there's only way one way if I keep him here in the palace He's going to continue to have a sense of entitlement. He gets everything he wants. And even if he's a fine person, that sense of entitlement, that taking for granted, will not make him more sensitive. I will do something which is very painful. I will conceal myself. Yes, conceal. But this takes a different twist. I will send my son away from the palace to live in an obscure town in my empire where no one will recognize him. He will not have assistants, and he will not have stewards, and he won't have everyone beckoning this call. Is that the beckoning to the call? I don't know if that's the right expression, but you get the idea. Responding to every beckon or call of it. Maybe it is right. And that's what the king does. He tells his son, the day is going to come. Shortly I'm going to be sending you to his town. You'll have to make it on your own. And he tells him why. Because you're going to be a more sensitive person. You'll live among your subjects. And no one will know who you are. And you may even forget who you are. You'll get assimilated and accustomed to the ways of the land. But you should always remember that's my intention. And I will send you a letter, says the king, several times a year to remind you. Don't forget why you're there. You're being groomed to be a powerful and great leader, even greater than I. The day comes, he sends his son off. Sad day. But it's a very important objective, a very important mission. And as he promised, several times a year, he sends his son a letter, remembering, I'm your father, the king. And true to form, exactly as this predicted, the son forgets. But then when he receives the letter, you know, because he gets busy with the routines of the land, or the routines of the community, he wants to celebrate because he received this letter reminding him. Problem is, who is he going to celebrate with? The people in the town will either be resentful if he tells them of the king, or they won't believe him, they may even harm him. 
So he comes up with a great idea. Party time. He announces there's going to be a party on this and this day. Free drinks, free food. The works. Everybody's invited. So the whole town is celebrating a party. Why not free drinks, free cocktails? Meanwhile, while they're celebrating, he's celebrating with them, but in his mind, he knows why he's celebrating. Because he received a letter from his father, the king. What is the metaphor? What is the moral, rather? That's the metaphor. What is the moral? The moral is this. The soul comes from a palace, a spiritual domain, where it has everything it needs. It doesn't have financial concerns, health concerns, neurosis, therapy, dysfunctionality, abuse. Pure. It's aware of its spiritual status. But it does no effort. It didn't earn its way. It's like the king, the, the son in the palace, the prince in the palace. So God, the king, says, I want you to earn your way. I want you to be an independent entity that's not provided and protected by me. And you could always come back and run. You feel that shelter. Go to the a hostile world, into a world where there is duplicity, where there's all kinds of challenges, where there's deception, where there's dishonesty, where there's worse than that, darkness. And make it on your own. I'm giving you the strength and I will remind you. But you have to make it on your own. And that's what happens. The soul comes to earth. It's made to forget everything that it studied, everything it knew about from the previous life, its spiritual life. It enters the body, physical world, lives in an obscure town, wherever that town may be where we're born. But material life is now dominant. What you feel with your five senses. The spiritual is very elusive. But you get a letter several times a year. It could be the Shabbat. It could be holidays, special days. The letter comes and you want to celebrate. You suddenly remember why you're here. That your soul is the most important thing, not your body, not your physical needs. But who are you celebrating with? You have a body to deal with. The body is not interested in your spiritual escapades. So God says, feed the body. Give it good food on the Shabbat, on holidays. Let it sleep a little extra. Feed it. While the body is celebrating because it's getting a great meal and a great party, you can celebrate for the spiritual meaning behind this party. Now, of course, sadly, many of us just remember the party and we forget about the letter. Is this deception? Are you deceiving your body and your animal soul and that more base instincts that you have? Yeah, it's a form of deception, but that's, well, that's what works in this world. Deception deceives Deceiving deception brings you to the truth. But I need to qualify. That's not a justification to lie. It's not a justification to be duplicitous, to be deceptive. It's with the right intention. It's packaging that the body and the animal soul and the material world doesn't appreciate divine and spiritual sublime concepts and experiences. The only way is to show them in its terms. You know what? This is a special day. You get fed. You dress up. Your ego feels a little fed as well and nourished. No problem. Because you don't want it distracting you. So you're packaging a spiritual truth into a language and into experiences that the material world can relate to. So there is a form of deception, but it's holy deception. It's sacred deception. It's teaching a world of deception that only understands superficial things that I'll give it to you on your superficial level but never forgetting its main intention, and that's also what you ultimately want to teach your body and material consciousness as well, even though it may not be yet ready for it. It's a tremendous example because it teaches us that whole idea why we educate our children. When we speak to people, you want to show them how spiritual truths are true for you, but sometimes they need an incentive. Sometimes they need to understand it on their terms. It will help you actualize yourself. It will help you be a healthier person. Have more love and romance in your life. A better sustainable marriage. Better relationship with co-workers. More efficient. And on and on. So yes, there's benefit in it on your terms. And it's important to explain that. Because if you don't, what are you expecting? 
Human consciousness wants to understand what I what do I have in, what, what what's in it for me, so to speak. Now, at some point, you want to tell that not everything is about you, but even that has to be explained. So you're basically using the marketing garments that educate and market ideas on the terms of the individual or the situation that can be interpreted as deception, but it's not. Because what you're doing is offering a truth, but it's the only way to explain that truth. That's our mission, to come into a dishonest world, to a world of deception, and discover honesty. Reveal honesty, reveal MS, reveal truth. That's the thing. Now, there's an interesting message which I'll conclude with. When God created the world, he asked two, two archetypes what he, God, what he should do. First, he went over to the archetype or the entity called truth, Emes, and said, Emes, I want to consult with you. Tell me, should I create this universe as we know it? Emes immediately said, no. It's a deceptive world. Malish garments filled with lies. Everything about it. So the truth, that domain called truth, how could it agree? Then God went to a second entity. You know, chesed, love, kindness, and said, should I create the world? And kindness says, yes, because when you do, there'll be much kindness will be done in this world. So love, talked from its perspective, we want more love. Emes wants more truth. What did God do, the Medrash says? He took Emes, he threw it down to the ground, which seems like he rejected it, but it says, Emes me'eretz titzmach. He threw it down to the ground. What does that mean? Why did he throw it to the ground? And why did he ask it in the first place? Because we need to know that this world is a duplicitous world. It's a world where there's a symptom, there's a concealment, and one who wants to make a mistake can make a mistake and not seek and not look and think we're independent entities and we just do whatever we like and we're fine. He threw it down to the ground because he planted it into the ground. He says, you know what? If I go directly with your approach, I'll never create a world. Because it's a world that is, you're right, it's filled with duplicity and lies. But I will create the world and I will embed you to remind the world all the time in the DNA of existence, in the DNA of every individual, lies an emiss, a deep spark. It can't be the driving functional force that creates because there's too much duplicity going on. But it's always there. And I will use as my active ingredient of creation, love, kindness. And with love and kindness, with compassion, with sensitivity, the world will be created, it will be loving, and slowly the emes that's embedded in there will start to emerge. People will sense it. They will sense the need for it. And that's the ultimate purpose, that the emes will emerge. Emes me'eretz titzmach, it says, emes will grow from the earth itself. That means a duplicitous world, the dishonest world will give birth to honesty. But I won't know if the word is birth because it's there. It'll give birth in the sense it'll blossom. It'll come to fruition. It'll be actualized. And that's the purpose of existence. When you think of it this way, then the duplicity, dishonesty becomes a challenge. It becomes, that's our challenge. That's, what we, that's our battle. That's what we need to counter. That's every time you see something like that, you need to find how to bring integrity into the picture. Now, that may be, you don't need to be creative. You may need to do like what the king did. You need to find ways to convince even dishonest people or with dishonest intentions how it's good for them. It's a lot of work. But you are a crusader, which means a pioneer. I don't want to be misunderstood. with A, a pioneer to reveal something that many people have just succumbed to or surrendered to. That's how we find honesty in a world of deception, to know it's in there. And the more you study, the more you realize that the concealment itself that allows for that duplicity, that is our challenge, not to buy into it, not to be deceived by the deception. And on the contrary, to deceive it in turn and bring it back to where it was meant to die, will not accept this concealment. I will not accept that we're all separate entities and survival of the fittest. I will not accept that we're fragmented no, your interests and my interests are the same because we're two parts of one organism. 
with two musical notes in one composition, with two colors in a beautiful tapestry. And we need to find that harmony that connects us, that complements us. Not cloning, not annihilating individuality. Unity, harmony within diversity. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Go to www.meaningfullife.com. Much more material on this topic and many others. We're here to serve like that bridge, to take a world that is such diverse and sometimes divisive, unfortunately, and reconnect to bring out the harmony. Please join us in this effort. We're partners. And by the very definition, we have to be partners. We cannot just be on our terms or on your terms. Let us join together in one symbiosis and bring that harmony. Check us out. Share, like, comment, feedback, critique. It's all part of the cross-pollination. And please join us. We'll do this every Wednesday, this program. We have many other programs. It's archived, podcast, downloads. Basically, every platform that you can find, we're there. And share. Share, because at the end of the day, we can create a ripple effect and actually create a harmony, a revolution of harmony, spiritual revolution in this material world, where we will come to a point that every piece and component feels absolutely indispensable and necessary, and at the same time feels how it needs all the other indispensable pieces. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.